Hi, I'm John Smith. Welcome to Kingdom Real. And we have an amazing episode planned right now. There's two of my very, very dear friends, Brad and Yvonne Jameson, are here in the studio with me. And looking forward to this. Yeah. So let's pick it up where you're just coming back from Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about where you go, what's going on, what's going on in your lives, and what happens after that. Well, when we came back from PR, we were away from the church. We both frequented church before college. And after college, it kind of slowed down to a stop. And we were back for maybe a year. And Yvonne started to get the urge more than myself to just be re-involved, re-involved with God. And she went to the bookstore to buy a Bible. That's because with all the packings and unpackings that we'd had, we couldn't find a Bible anywhere. <laughs> yeah, so, so go ahead. No, <laughs> so she went to the bookstore and she bought the only version of the Bible she knew, which was the King James Version. Okay. And that's the one that has the these and the thous. We didn't quite understand it, but when she read it, I was still off to the side. And one Sunday, or several Sundays, she was watching Channel 55, which is a small channel or small station on Eastern Long Island. And she noticed this same church every Sunday. And she said, uh, I'd like to go to that church. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, and I wasn't too anxious to do it. But I got up, got off, and we went there. Went to New Life Community Church in Sable, New York. And what a delight that was that had been. You know, that was the first Sunday of years of experience with New Life. So why don't you put it up there? Well, I think the thing that was really attractive is that, again, I was back with the Holy Spirit punching at me and saying, you really, you know, you need to do something and you need to get back to God. Okay. And um, I had ended up reading the whole um, Gospel of Luke. For some reason, oh. that was the Gospel that I sort of, sort of resonated with me and oh. I just kept reading it. And so finally, the point where we actually, the very first Sunday we walked in, the thing that was the uh, it actually just blew my mind was that Aunt Teeny, Tina Davies, I'll never forget, just walked up to me in the middle of the aisle, put her arms around me and welcomed me and I thought, who is this lady and what she doesn't know me from a hole in the wall, you know. And from there, I was encouraged to go to Bible study, Dot Van Popering, uh, was, she was another one that sort of started talking to me 
and I ended up going to Cherie Pohl's Bible study, and uh, and that was just awesome. And between that and um, and worship, that was that really started us in terms of our life. Brad, uh, the person that really came up and sort of touched him, was uh, Frank, Frank Delfino. Delfino. And he just kind of took him under his wing and talked to him and encouraged him. And I think all together, um, it was just a great experience. And we went to the uh, pastor's class to become members and went through that. And that was, I don't remember how many weeks it was. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah, but it was, it really was important because we had just been away. And to be honest, um, we had lost what is it that connects us and what's the relationship that we should have with Christ. We were, you know, we tithing. We had never really gotten into that. <laughs> I'll never forget when you talked about that. Brad got in the car and goes, "Not me, no way." Ten <laughs> percent? Yeah, you Not must be happening. kidding. I mean, we both were making really good salaries at that point, and it was like, and of course, it didn't take very long for that to, be, you know, for that to kind of disappear, and we started doing it. But, <laughs> but it was it was a great experience. We we met a lot of really wonderful people in that class. Um, you were amazing because the thing that I remember most about you at that moment was you remembered everybody's name always from the very first name. I'm like, how does he do that? <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm horrible at remembering names. But anyway, so that was the, the beginning of the experience. And then we got involved in doing things and um, in all various areas of ministry and things like that. So That was always my... Uh, assignment for myself in class one of the ten, I had to know everybody's first name. Yep. And then as soon as I'd seen them again, I would try to use it. Usually got it right. And something that it was important to me and I knew it was important to people. Yeah. And so that was something I always worked on. That was a talent that you had that I could never develop. I can remember people but not their names. I'm not as good at it now as I was then, but <laughs> That was that was a cool time. So that was 1987. Seven, yeah, I believe we had come mm -hmm. back from Puerto Rico in 1985, and then okay. we had that sort of that year, year and a half in between. And that was a transition time for me. I had served as the associate pastor for eight years, and then I think it was September 25th I was installed as the as the senior pastor. Yeah, you said you were. And there. we were there when you were yeah. installed. We were there yeah, we, for we, the we, installation. Yeah, yeah, we had started back. Uh, to church on a regular basis because after that first day we never missed unless we were out of town or somebody was ill but uh, that was it. Yeah the other thing that I remember that was so fun about the pastor's class is I would schedule an hour-long appointment with every person, mm -hmm. every couple, because mm -hmm. I wanted to get to know the people. Yeah. And then we would talk about where you're at in your faith and whether or not you wanted to, if you already had given your life to Christ yeah. or needed to, if you wanted to join the church or not. So that was always a Fun experience through that. Well, and I remember when um, there was a time when you were speaking like to all of us uh, to get that answer and so forth. And Brad and I, we had gone to Connecticut, I think, to visit somebody in your family. Yes. And so, at, so we missed that. We missed that. And so we ended up in your office with an elder and uh, and then professing our faith at that point and wanting to become members of the church. I remember that clearly. It's a good days. Yeah. Good days. Yes. Yeah. So time progresses on. What's what's the next highlight that you remember 
Uh, well, serving in the various areas of the church. And one thing that I really got a charge out of was uh, serving in youth group. I really, really loved that. Uh, learning the kids, learning how to deal with kids again, because it had been a while since I had dealt with kids. But learning to deal with kids, and we went on several trips. Uh, we went to... Uh, we used to no, we, uh, no Camp, Camp Barnabas. No, that, no, but you used to go up to... Um, it was in North Carolina. Yes. In, uh, yes. Recreation experiences. Yeah. 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 Was that the one in Asheville? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that was in Asheville, and we went up there several times. And I went up there once by myself just to serve, to serve that ministry. Uh, I remember very well coming back and Meredith Pickham had been there and she was coming back and she was going to meet her folks in Washington and she was driving her little Honda and I was driving and we went to Washington like trailing each other met her folks and then I continued home and then the the greatest experience of all for me was uh, going to Camp Barnabas Camp Barnabas was and still is a camp for differently enabled children uh, there was a young man who could barely walk but he could shoot a basketball and they called him nickname was hoops and he could throw a basketball and he'd just hobble along and throw it but he was enjoying the life and I saw so many kids doing that and I watched that camp grow Uh, it was run by a couple, Cindy and Paul Tease, T-E-A-S, and I still stay in contact. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and that was really exciting for me. I remember the um, Long Island Billy Graham crusade. Yes. In September of 1990 at Nassau Coliseum for a whole week. They yeah. started on Monday night and ended on Sunday night. Yeah. Tell me about your involvement in that. Well, what I remember of it is being able to, um, when when the call was made, was to be able to go and talk to the people that and pray with those that came forward. So we would all go down and we would do that. And that to me was just awesome because I'd never seen anything like that or done anything. And I, I mean, I knew Billy about Billy Graham and all of that, but I had just never experienced that. And for the, and for the fact that our congregation was able to be a part of that in whatever position we, we could and wanted to, um, I thought that was awesome. But that was the biggest thing was being able to then talk and pray and which is out of my comfort zone by the way (laughs) but uh yeah but it was but that was really great yeah it was a great opportunity 
But what a lot of people don't realize is how many years and how many people were praying for that way before yeah, they yeah. got. So it wasn't yeah. just you know this amazing message yeah. or something like that, but it was bathed in prayer by thousands of people yeah. for three years before it actually happened. Yeah. And we were seeing the fruit of that the yeah. results of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Any memories for you, Brad, of the Billy Graham crusade? Uh, I was just overwhelmed with Billy Graham as a speaker, mm. as to his faith, to his belief. I, I, that just, I want to be like that. Yes. <laughs> and I, I just enjoyed speaking, uh, his speaking. But as Yvonne said, I also enjoyed walking down with people as they went forward to proclaim Christ. That was enjoyable. It was thrilling, it was heart thrilling to see these people, some of which didn't know God at all. But listening, having listened to his talking and the other speakers talking, people around so quickly and then I learned it wasn't him it was the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. he was the vehicle yeah yes. exactly he was the vehicle yeah so we watched so many people their, their parents came and went forward to see Christ or their kids did and um, Sue and I were one of the parents that uh, our son Matthew mm-hmm. that's where he first gave his life to Christ oh. that's part of his testimony at the Long Island Billy Graham crusade so that's a pretty special memory for us as well yes so time goes on, lots of great experiences, fantastic musicals, and all kinds of great things going on. And I remember coming into like through 1997, I progressing a few years, and we have a spiritual renewal weekend, and things are going good there. And I remember one of the members of the church came to me after that and said, um, why don't we have a recovery Mm. Yes. Diane Spicer. Yes. Celebrate recovery. Yes. yes. Yeah, so that was the, the, the person who planted the first question, planted the first seed for that. And I remember my response was, I'm sure we need one, but I don't have any idea how to do it. So if you're willing to figure out how to do it, I'll support you in anything you need to make this happen. And that became the journey. Yeah. And I remember her sharing her story with the whole congregation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two Sundays services, yeah. and she had quite a story. Yeah, of what happened yep. there and how God brought her through practically every addiction. Yes, known mm-hmm. to man. yeah. And and I gave a couple of messages about it and how the twelve steps are right out mm-hmm. of the scriptures and so on. And basically, was trying to convince everybody in the church, like this isn't just for those people out there. Right. This is for all yeah. of us. Yeah. Any hurt, any hang up, any habit that you're struggling with, it's basically learning how to overcome sin. That process mm-hmm. we call sanctification. And, um, but a few months later, I went with Diane and three other folks from New Life out to a week-long conference called Shepherding the Shepherds Out in California. It was designed for recovery ministry leaders. And I went there not really understanding it, wanting to learn about it, and discovered that, wow, 
I'm just as addicted as any other person in the room, but mm-hmm. I've got what I call the Christian church acceptable addictions. <laughs> yeah. um, they're, ju- they're just as deadly, just as bad, and just as consuming, but when you get into people-pleasing and codependency and workaholism, perfectionism, and all that kind of stuff, people love that in their pastor, mm. but when you try to um, go on a journey to recover from that, not everybody thinks that's a good deal. And, um, yeah. You were there, I'm sure, on, I believe it was Sunday, July 5th, of 1998. I came back from this and gave a message, the truth will set you free, based out of John 8. And um, after that message, there were hundreds of people that were just so encouraged. Wow, there's hope for me. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't fully understand was there was a whole bunch of people that that created fear, anxiety, um, whatever. And that went on for some time. And, and then it kind of uh, um, erupted with the letter. And I've talked about this a little before on another episode, but I thought it would be important for you to talk about it because I think you were both on consistory at the time. No, Yvonne Ev- was on consistory. Off, okay. I was off consistory at off. that time. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that letter came on a Friday and then found out it was copied to all the elders and the deacons and denominational officials. And so... Do you have any memory of what you thought when you first read that letter? Um, first of all, it was a shock, but yet it shouldn't have been in some cases because okay. I had seen little, you know, with, you see people start gathering and, ch- and chattering and, and, you know, there were like little clicks that um, you could kind of identify. And I didn't know everything that was going on in their, in their heads or, or what they were talking about, but it was, it was just there. And I think that at that point, I was, I said I was really, I was upset uh, because I couldn't understand what was going on other than having uh, people constantly saying, well, you know, John's trying to change things or whatever, do things, and this is our church. Um, and this is the way they wanted it always to be. I mean, when you took your robes off, I think half of the congregation got all like, why did he take his robe off? Like, why not? You know, so I think that it was, I think it was gradual building up. It was like, you know, how to boil a frog kind of thing. And it just (laughs) built up and built up without us being fully aware of everything that was happening. And then all of a sudden this thing comes out and it was a real um, shocker. Bomb um, is the yeah. word you're looking and, for. Yeah, and and um, it gave me a whole different perspective of what um, people in the church could be like because I had never experienced that. So I came to a head at a Monday night yeah. meeting, yep. kind of an open meeting for people yep. who wanted to come in the fellowship hall of the church. And yep. What did you experience that night? My experience that night was probably one of the most horrible experiences I had had as a Christian because don't it's right by accident as the consistory walked in I ended up sitting next to you and right across from me was Sue and so I spent the entire time looking at Sue and I couldn't in my mind imagine some of the most horrible things that were said I could not imagine somebody who was a Christian being that 
in some cases evil, in some cases just being um, rude. And I couldn't, I just couldn't imagine how Sue could sit there and I couldn't imagine how you sat there so quietly. And because I'm not sure in your situation if I could have done that, I'll be perfectly honest. And I don't think if I was Sue, I would have been out of there. Um, I mean, she sat there and listened and took that all in. And um, it was a horrible, horrible experience for me. I had never, ever seen anything like that happen. I, I didn't understand how people, church members, could turn on you like that. Uh, there were even people who had, quote, left the church that came back to hurl insults. So Brad, how did that, uh, what, what happened to you then? Well, I just had a, a state of shock because I couldn't understand how people who call themselves loyal Christians, loyal to the church, how they could react in that way. I, I saw people there that we hadn't seen in years. They had left the church, so to speak, but they were there to complain. And I, I just, it took me forever to understand what is your real problem? Uh, that was evil anger being expressed. And I just didn't understand it or understand why. Why are we you doing this to a church that has supported so many people doing so many things and you're ready to crash it? I, I don't under, didn't understand that. Well, I think it wasn't so much crashing in the church because they wanted the church to continue to exist. They just didn't want John to be there. That really was the purpose. They had no problem with the church. No. They, they, they had no problem with their church. They, did, they had a problem with a church in transition. And was not too sharp. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, a church that was going where God directed it to go. But no, it's my church. And yeah. I want the preachers to wear robes. And I want the piano there. You know, they, they just had it in their mind that they wanted what they want. And was it. It couldn't be any other way. Yeah, I think it was insulting. It was Yes. It was well, I mean it was evil, it was insulting, but it was to me it was no way to handle their situation, even if they thought they had a legitimate cause. There were ways that they could have at least approached that differently. And I just felt that it was done with 
some contempt and that was not a Christian way to act. There was no constructive approach that they were using. Yeah. Uh, it was all in your face. We want change. Yeah. So that's what they wanted. And we didn't understand that. So what is your memory or recollection of kind of the aftermath? After that meeting, what happened after that? Well, uh, what I remember is, um, you know, there were more meetings in consistory. Um, you were there. Um, and you stayed through the to course to doing the things that you believed the Spirit had led you to do. Um, until such time as you decided that that was not where you wanted uh, or needed to be. Um, it was a difficult time. And it was a time that I think... Um, I think going forward in my life, and Brad will tell you that I am very um, concerned about sort of knowing a lot of the intricacies that go on in the church because uh, I think you can know too much. <laughs> it's not a good thing <laughs> for your mind. I mean, I was glad that I was still able with others on the consistory to continue to support you, to continue to do the things that needed to be done. And I believe that there were many people that felt that way. Um, and so the group, even though I don't think it was a majority, it was, and uh, you know, usually in situations like that, it's usually not a majority. It's just the more vocal people who yes. just decide that you were destroying what they had and they didn't want to, um, to lose that. Uh, but our mission is to bring people to Christ. And if bring, bringing people to Christ, it means that sometimes we have to, to do things that maybe we hadn't done before and be able to encourage uh, people. And unfortunately, um, that was not their, their desire, their mission. But you kept to that course, okay? And that we appreciated. And I know that a lot of others that there at the time appreciated. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really difficult time. Fortunately, I got a lot of help that I needed, and we went through some extensive, intensive counseling, and I, I was a firm believer that I couldn't leave until God released me. And, um, and it was a process. It was almost three years after that. And as I look back on it, um, I'm a firm believer that God doesn't waste anything. Even our most difficult, painful, almost destructive experiences, he has a way of turning that around and using it um, actually for good. Yeah. Yes. And there's so many stories in the Bible of people that have gone that way and they just suffer these horrendous things. Or there's Joseph, and then he says to his brothers, well, you intended this for evil? Right, yeah. I was but, just yes. thinking of the same yeah, quote. God intended this for good. good. Yes. Yeah. And, and if he hadn't been through that, hadn't been sent yeah. there, all his people were starved. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. God was yeah. working through that. So in the, in the midst of it, we're looking at like, how could this happen? Why could this be? And, and yet, God was involved. Yeah. Doesn't excuse everything that happened, but he really was working through all that. And so at the point, because if I had left sooner, 
I would have been a wounded pastor that was yeah. just unintentionally wounding yeah. people. I learned that in recovery. I would have been a hurt pastor hurting people. Yeah. So God says, well, we're going to heal you first, and then uh, you got to forgive every single person, and then you're going to use all these experiences for the rest of your life and ministry as you come mm-hmm. alongside other people who go through a similar thing. Yes. That's a hard thing for me to do, and it's taken a long time. And I've done that to an extent, and I still remember things that hurt. Yeah. And that's and that's really hard. The other there's a piece of scripture that I remember, but it's from the book of Esther. Mm. And I just remember Mordecai and talking to Esther. You have been put here for such a time as this, and I believe that God puts each and every one of us in place for such a time as this, whatever that time Absolutely. is. Absolutely. And from my perspective, the elders and deacons that were on the board at that time could not have been better leaders. Yeah. Um, you were united, you were supportive, you were around me, behind me, holding me up. Yeah. And it, it, I was just, you were amazing. It was great, it was wonderful. Not every pastor has that option yeah. at that point. And yeah. so I'm forever grateful. And thankful to both of you for staying involved in God's church, staying involved in my life and my family's life. And our God, family's life. Our family's life. Yep. God is making all things new. Yes. And with Him, even in our darkest, most difficult, most painful experiences, there's always hope. Yeah. Yes. Because Jesus yep. is right there in the middle. And He said, if you follow me, plan on suffering like yes. I did. That's yes. the message most churches don't yes. want to preach, but it doesn't sell, Yeah, but it's true. Yeah, it's true. And we're all a testimony yeah. that God is faithful, Yeah, Jesus Christ is the victor, and in the end, we win. Yeah. Yes. He wins, and yes. we're with him. Yes. Well, thank you for being with me. This has been great. Love you guys both so much, and thank you for watching this episode of Kingdom Real. I'm John Smith saying, see you next time.